Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to say how glad I am to be back after being gone for a couple of weeks. First of all, I want to thank you as a congregation, not only for letting me and the other pastors, the other members of the staff serve here, but I want to thank you not just for letting me be your pastor, but for letting me be a dad. Um, this past week uh, over spring break, it was a good time for us to go and do some college visiting and some family, uh, some, just some make some family time together. And I just always appreciate, I want you to know how much I appreciate and how much we appreciate your generosity in allowing us to do that. You all understand the importance of, of our health. And I thank you for allowing us to be healthy so that we can be healthy leaders for you. So thank you so much. As a matter of fact, I, since we We'd spent a little time skiing this past week, and, and I had several people who said, you know, Bob, we were praying for you the whole time you were skiing that you wouldn't be hurt. And I, I don't know what they know about my ski abilities, but apparently there was some concern about that. And I will say that the only reason I was not hurt is because there were so many people praying for me last week. So thank you so much. One other thing I want to mention today, too, is that... Um, we have a, a kind of a bittersweet day today in that one of our longtime uh, security officers, Rob Garheda, is retiring today. He's retiring from the police force, and so he's retiring from, from his duties at First Presbyterian Church. And I, I know that he'll hear this at some point watching this on video or something. So let's just give a round of applause and thanks for Rob Garheda today. You can see his picture on the back of the bulletin. Uh, what a wonderful guy. You all know him. Uh, but we want to just thank all of our security team for the great work that they do. Now, let's go ahead and let's jump back into it. I've been excited about preaching for a couple of weeks now. So turn, if you will, to Mark chapter 14. You can find it in your bulletin. Um, we're going to be starting in the 12th verse, going through the 16th verse, and then skipping down to the 22nd through 25th as we continue our movement toward Easter and as we talk about the Passover plan. So if you will, read along with me as I read aloud, beginning in Mark chapter 14, verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, where will, we, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Now jumping down to verse 22. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O oh Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet 
and a light into our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. A few years ago, I heard an expression that I know you're going to like. I heard someone say that the Bible really comes alive when we stop raking the leaves and start digging for gold. That's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to dig for gold. We're going to stop just raking the leaves and we're going to dig for gold by digging deeply into the connection between the passion of Jesus Christ and the Passover, the Passover plan, Passover week 33 AD. Jesus told the disciples that God had a plan for him, a plan to restore humanity and to restore relationships that God made us to have with our neighbors, with one another, and with him. It was a detailed plan. Even those details we read about this morning as Jesus commanded the disciples to go and prepare the room for Passover, these are all things that were foreknown in the mind of God. But there were other details. And we found out from Jesus that it is a detailed plan, but it's also a scary plan, and it's a brutal plan. And the plan was this, that the Son of God would be rejected, that he would suffer, that he would die. But then on the third day, he would be raised again from the dead. And Jesus was asking them to trust that plan, no matter how bad it looked. From Caesarea Philippi to the transfiguration, to the parable of the wicked tenants, to his anointing at Bethany, Mark's gospel tells us how Jesus revealed and then explained God's plan. And then Mark tells us how he carried it through and brought it all together in his passion during the week of Passover in the year 33 AD. Now, as we get into this, first of all, let's be clear about our terms. When we speak about the passion of Jesus, we're talking about this chain of events that took place during Holy Week, his rejection, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. Listen to this. Jesus said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and they will spit on him and they will flog him and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. That is the passion of Jesus Christ. When we speak of the Passover, we are talking about a Jewish holiday, about the Jewish holiday, or more specifically, a sacrifice offered during the holiday, celebrated on the 14th day of the month of the Jewish, uh, uh, the 14th day of the month of the Jewish month of Nisan, about this time every year. Now the timing of Jesus's death and passion was deliberate. To really understand the passion, we need to understand its deep connection to the Passover. Because I believe that part of God's plan was that Jesus' passion would take place 
at this particular time. The Passover was the religious festival commemorating God's deliverance of the Jews from bondage in Egypt. For the Jews, it was like the 4th of July. That looks nothing like Jerusalem. <laughs> Sorry, I got that out of the corner of my eye. It threw me off a little bit. The Passover was that religious festival commemorating God's deliverance of the Jews from bondage in Egypt. For the Jews, it was like the 4th of July and that it was their Independence Day. It was the day they celebrated their freedom from slavery. But you know what else? It was also like St. Patrick's Day and that it was a celebration of history and identity. In good times and in bad, when in power or when oppressed, it was a festival to remember that they were God's chosen people and that by the strong hand, God had guided them from generation to generation. To understand Passover, we need, we need to go back to the book of Exodus, to the story of Moses. Back to the book of Exodus, the Bible tells us that the Hebrew people had been in slavery for 430 years, for generations. But then in Exodus, God spoke to Moses and he said this, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God said to Moses, tell Pharaoh to let my people go so that they can come and serve me. But as with all kings, Pharaoh was not about to let his workforce go. Not when he had temples and cities and pyramids to build. And so the creator turned his creation against this false Egyptian God king and sent a series of nine plagues, frogs, locusts, infections, hail, fire, rivers of blood, as one commentator described them, real Old Testament stuff. But we also read that despite the attacks, Pharaoh would not relent. And so the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, tell the whole congregation of Israel to take a lamb for each household, one year old without blemish, and they shall sacrifice it and take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it that night, roasted over the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. And you shall eat it with your loins girded your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand and you shall eat it hurriedly for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike down every firstborn in the land of Egypt, both human beings and animals on all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. And God said, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood that is spread around the door, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague shall destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the Passover of the Lord. 
And this day shall be a day of remembrance for you. And then, in a final tenth plague, the Lord unleashed the angel of death on the Egyptians with the command to kill every firstborn male child in every Egyptian household. And only those protected by the blood of the lamb were passed over and saved from death. And when he saw that the Israelites had been passed over, the grief-stricken and beaten Pharaoh of Egypt finally said, just go, get out of here. And Moses led the people out of the house of slavery and into the new future as a free nation under God. And from that time forward, Passover was celebrated to commemorate, that is to remember what God had done. Now here are a few comments I want to make about Passover. First of all, it was a festival of remembrance, commemorating the literal, historical freedom from slavery. It was a day to remember that God was willing to fight for their freedoms. That's what the plagues were. They were a battle between the real God and the false God. Moses told the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of slavery. For by a strong hand, the Lord brought you out from this place. And when in time to come, your son asks you, what does all this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So first of all, Passover was a celebration of remembrance. Second, Passover was about God's purpose for his people. It was not only about the literal historical freedom from slavery. It was also about God's freedom to worship and serve him. It was about that purpose, that freedom to worship and serve him. The people were liberated from slavery in Egypt for this purpose, to serve God as his priestly kingdom and holy nation. If you want to go back to the specific infraction of Pharaoh, it was not just that the people were enslaved, but it was that he would not allow his people, he would not allow his slaves to go out and worship God, worship God on the Sabbath. Now, if you're an employer, I want you to think about that, Pharaoh. Do you let your people have the Sabbath off to go and worship God? If not, plagues happen, that's not my bad. And so it was a freedom from slavery, but also a freedom to worship and serve God. Third, it was also about movement. God's command to the people was that they should eat the feast with loins girded, sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. You should have the keys in the car with the engine running. And when the time comes, you need to be ready to move. Passover was about movement, either literally journeying from one place to another, like from Egypt to the promised land, or spiritually moving from one way of life to another, like from slavery to freedom. 
In Jesus' time, a big part of the celebration was going to Jerusalem, was actually moving from wherever you live to Jerusalem to celebrate. And they would celebrate all along the journey to get there. And so movement was a big part of Passover. Fourth and finally, it was about identity. At Passover, a lamb was sacrificed that day and eaten that night. The Passover meal centered on the lamb because at the original Passover, the blood of the lamb was painted on the lintel and the doorposts of every Hebrew house. And it was the blood of the lamb that identified the children of God when the angel of death passed through and took the life of every firstborn male and animal that was not marked by the blood. Passover reminded the Jews that to be a Hebrew was to have a special identity. It was to be one of God's chosen people and to be marked as a child of God. Now, when Jesus gathered with his disciples to celebrate the Passover meal, he did it to prepare them for his passion. On that night, he wanted them to know that he was willing to give his life for their freedom. That night, Jesus claimed the Passover and he gave it new meaning by shifting the focus from the Passover lamb to himself. Mark tells us that as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they drank all of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for many. With those words, the focus shifts from the lamb, the Passover lamb, to him. It's now his body that they will eat. And now it is his blood that will save. Jesus becomes the Passover lamb and as the Apostle Paul would write, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let's take a look at a few of the parallels between the Passover and the Passion. Not all, but a few. What are they? First is that just as the Passover was about movement from slavery into a new life of freedom, so the Passion is about the beginning of a new life, a life in which we are freed from sin and in which we are freed to serve God. From sin, freed to serve God. By his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus set you, he set me free from habits that sap your strength, from conflicts that break your heart, from the guilt that smothers your spirit, and the distractions that leave you exhausted. You know it and I know it. All of us need to be set free from something. Even if the chains of our slavery of our own making. But here's the truth of his passion that Christ has set you free. 
and sin has no more power over you than you give it. Second, just as the Exodus established a covenant with the people, so the passion would establish a new covenant through Christ. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Quoting the, the prophet Jeremiah, the book of Hebrews says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. But rather, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Through his passion, God has made a new promise to us, a promise in which he declares that we are his people and he will remember our iniquities, our sins, no more. Third, just as the blood of the lamb had identified the people of God and saved them, so now would the blood of Jesus identify the people of God and save them. You know, this, this is both a warning and a promise. It's a warning that the old covenant is no longer the covenant that saves. Again, the book of Hebrews says, in speaking of a new covenant, God makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. In the blood of Christ, God has established a new covenant. This is what he said when he was going back, this is what he said that he was going to do back in chapter 12, at the end of the parable of the wicked tenants, that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It's a warning that in rejecting the blood of Jesus, one rejects the mercy of God. And like the Egyptians, that person will not be passed over. And the warning is simply, beloved, that without Jesus, there is no hope. And so this covenant is a warning. The passion is a warning. But it's also a promise that if you are under the blood of Jesus, then you are identified as God's own child. Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. I want you to think about that for a second. There's so much grace in those two little words, for many. We hear them also in Mark 10, 45, when Jesus said that he came to give his life as a ransom for many, not just a few, not just a select group, but for many. The old Passover promise of God that God gave was limited to the Jews only. Exodus 12, 43 says, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it unless he is a circumcised slave. And what we see here is that Jesus was establishing not only a new covenant, he was opening the Passover, expanding God's covenant. Because as Ephesians says, now in Christ Jesus, 
you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That Passover blood over the lintel and on the doorposts. And so this new covenant, the blood of Christ, in this new covenant, the blood of Christ will cover not only Jews, but non-Jews as well. But please understand, this is not about ethnicity. It's about the fact that now Jesus' passion has opened God's Passover mercy. Do you hear that? Jesus' passion has opened God's Passover mercy. Not just for a few, but for many. Jesus said, I did not come to save the righteous, but sinners. He didn't just come for the rightly religious or the sanctified successful, but for sinners, for people like us, for people like me. Romans 10, 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The Passover and the passion are both about movement. They're both about starting over. The blood of the lamb saved the children of Israel from death so that they could move into the life of freedom God promised. And the blood of Jesus saved us from death so that we can move into the life of freedom that God promises. The Passover and Passion Connection is that today we are slaves, but tomorrow you're gonna start out, you're gonna start over as free people of God. And what that means is that Jesus is saying that you don't have to go along with the crowd. You don't have to be enslaved to the things of your past. Rather, you have a God who in the Old Testament was willing to fight for you and who in the New Testament was willing to die for you. The connection between the Passover and the Passion is that Jesus Christ is the God who is willing to fight for your freedom and to die for you in the process. The question before us today is this, what still enslaves you? And how can the blood of Jesus Christ set you free? Remember, he was not only willing to fight for you, he was willing to die for you so that you could be free of everything that enslaves you. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord, we come to you today thanking you for the consistency of your word that in the Old Testament you showed that you were willing to fight for us through plague through power, through storm. But then on the cross, you proved that you were willing to die for us, that your love is not fickle, that it is not simply a position of power, but it is a position of compassion. Lord, turn our hearts and minds to your Passover, understanding that you are our Passover lamb, and help us to take comfort in the identity of your blood. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.